It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. I'm so glad that you're tuning in again today. We are continuing our study of the Beatitudes. That's right. Last week, we started in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, really going through now the this uh, deep, rich text from the Sermon on the Mount. We've been highlighting a few of the subject matters at the Sermon on the Mount throughout this study of the radical teachings of Jesus Christ. And if you've missed any of these prior broadcasts, you can go to calvaryfountain.com, and there you can find this broadcast and many others all right there at your fingertips. Please share those with your friends and family alike. So to help me as we go through this once again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, learning about the blessed who are poor in spirit. Dr. Steve Ford is here in the studio with me. Dr. Ford, always good to have you on Engage in Truth, my friend. Thank you, John. Always good to be back. And last uh, episode, you did a fantastic job of really setting up the context for us uh, and, and just how important the Sermon on the Mount is. When you talked about various commentators, just speaking to the centrality of these teachings to the Christian walk and the Christian faith, and really looking forward to exploring that some more today. That's right. And and you know how this goes. Typically, we'll spend several weeks then on one verse. I think that's really the intent, that really this is a lifetime journey. We're not just to to read it and move along, but rather to understand the power of this instruction. Yeah, this this is really the the case that's being made here, that if we want to take up the cross to follow Christ, if we want to be called a disciple, a follower of Jesus, this is the expectation. And the first is to be totally emptied of self, the being poor in spirit. We'll talk about what that means. So let's kick it off here. Verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, as I mentioned last week, when we say the word blessed, in this case, it actually has two syllables because an adverb, noun, or adjective all have the the two syllables here. So it's blessed. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, markarios or markarias, uh, depending on your Greek there, this particular word is is really uh, translated as happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Now, that that's quite a stretch for us. <laughs> I don't know that anybody would say when I feel poor in spirit, and without proper understanding of what that terminology means, we'll get into what that means, as I mentioned. But in an initial glance, if you were to use the word supplemented there as happy in our Western mindset and culture, that would really throw a curve for us. And so to understand that, we have to then take the extrapolation of the word as a sense of approval, thereby you are happy. You're approved by God, and we got to be careful with the word approved. I know last week we just started to touch on this because then it can sound like an achievement that I have somehow uh, attained a level of religiosity or relationship with God that somebody else doesn't have. Therefore, I'm more spiritual than someone else and thereby more accepted than someone else. And that's really the way pagan world religions operate. That's not what he's saying here. And we'll again, we'll get to sort of bringing this all full circle and giving us some clarity on this. 
But we have to understand at first glance, it may just appear that I'm blessed if I'm poor. I'm blessed if I'm downtrodden, um, and as if this is a message of encouragement to someone who's down on their luck. And and financially, they just don't have the means. It may seem that way initially. And, and when we take it for what it says, we really pull this apart verse by verse, word by word, in true expositional fashion here. What we find is this approving state by God goes in, in alignment with what we see with the high priest. With underneath their ephod, they had the Urim and the Thummim, two stones that are often overlooked. Because in the ephod, they had each of the stones that represented the tribes of Israel. But then there were two stones that were tucked against the chest, the heart of the priest. And there was a white stone and a black, dark stone. And that white stone, according to biblical text, tells us it would actually glow with the approval of God, a yes from God, and how how fitting it is. And we get our first glimpse of that, in, by the way, in Exodus chapter 28, verse 30. But in Revelation 2.17, we also receive a white stone. So from the Torah laws, where we see the white stone introduced all the way to the book of Revelation, where we see that we also receive a white stone, it is you are approved, you are you were received. You have the full happiness of God upon you, his delight, his acceptance, and it's not by anything you've done. Yeah, as you were talking about the high priest, it made me think of number six, the ironic blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. Well, what is he blessing you with? With his approval. That's, you know, right. that's what it means in that context as well. So I think we can also extrapolate that that's really the gist of what we're talking about here. Yeah, and, and then, of course, then the natural response to that was, well, how do I have his approval then? Right. Because <laughs> um, that, that's what I want. Ultimately, I want his approval. I want his good pleasure. Uh, is it some achievement? And, and to the contrary, right. rather, it is this emptying of self wholly, fully, that's that right. you know, I need a savior. I cannot be saved in any of my own merits. I cannot meet God halfway. I fully need a Savior, and I fully need the inner working of the Holy Spirit to do anything good that brings Him pleasure. It is the absence of self. It is the fullness of Christ. I come poor in spirit, holy before the God of the universe, meaning I I cannot achieve anything as you can imagine in a culture that was very driven by orthodox practices by the talmud and the mishnah and other such practices a lot of focus on the externals and and all of the religiosity that went into that there was a sense of we are entitled we've already met god halfway we only need the messiah to take us the rest of the way as opposed to being totally absent of self I need you, Lord. I yeah. need a Savior. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the essence in this. Yeah, I agree with you. I think when you think of a, the, the type of person or the time when we actually accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's when we have recognized our own spiritual poverty, mm. which, as as you're talking about, it was so difficult for the scribes and the Pharisees because they had built up you know, their theology on sort of arm-wrestling God into favor because of all the great <laughs> things that they've done, right. where, you know, where Jesus is like, no, you're going to have to lot, have a lot more righteousness than what they have uh, you know, right. to be able to get into the kingdom. Basically, you have to have my righteousness to get into the kingdom of heaven, and there's only one way to do that. Yeah, be ye therefore perfect as your heavenly Father right. is perfect, right? <laughs> 
Uh, that's a daunting <laughs> yeah, statement to exactly. make, uh, meaning you're not going to do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're never going to be perfect, ever. Yeah. One thought and, and out of alignment. Matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter yeah, if you're better than short. the guy next to you. you <laughs> that's know? right. Because Jesus is the standard, you know. That's <laughs> it. And he already says it, James, if you've broken one, you've broken them all. Right. And there was never a thought of sin in our Lord. Uh, any temptations Amen. that came were from the exterior, not yeah. from the interior. Yeah. His heart never lusted for something. He never pursued anything unrighteous. So uh, be it as it may, the, the devil may have given him his best shot, but right. the Lord was never enticed by it. Yeah. And so completely in, unsuccessful in those efforts. So yeah, I think there's a lot of correspondence here, correlations to the book of James. And in fact, we're going through that study at Calvary Fellowship right now. So if you are listening and you feel in, encouraged by the idea of, hey, I want to kick off my year in the book of James, then come visit us at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Uh, we are just now getting into chapter 2, and so we've got all that broken out for you there as well. But in James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, you read a text like that, and you immediately can jump to the conclusion that I need to be a person who performs on top of my belief or I'm disqualified. The Apostle Paul spoke to that a great deal of running the race, and therefore, by default, we imagine or picture some sort of achievement that has to be added to salvation lest I be disqualified. In this, we have to understand that all of this is about persevering under trial. The word approved in that case is dokimos. It's a form of the word testing. Now, that term came from a very common and familiar image to the people. Uh, if they had pottery, for example, today, uh, maybe we order a, a clothing online, a, a pair of pants, a, a nice shirt, and, and it comes in the mail, and in it, it says it's been reviewed or approved or inspected by number, number 3468. So. We have right. no idea who that person is, right? <laughs> but we assume then some kind of inspection has occurred here in the final product before it shipped out, and I received it and now wearing it, I'm assuming now that someone has given it the, the overall look over and made sure it was of high quality before I received it. Well, at that time, pottery had a, a seal that was found underneath it that had that same word. It was a, an approval, uh, that, that meaning that this has gone through the furnace and it came out without a crack on it. It's therefore acceptable pottery. That seal meant that clay vessel is now ready for use because it's gone through the fiery furnace. It's came out with in, in past inspection, and it's now ready to be used. And it says here, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That's the refiner's Fire. So the result of this approval is that we receive a crown of life. Now, again, this is not for salvation. It's an eternal reward that God has put you through the fiery furnace of the trials of this life, the thalipsis that we get the word tribulation from. That the great Philipsis, it's like a wine press. You've been pushed through this, and you have come out now without all of the impurities have been removed. You are now readied 
as a bride of Christ forever and ever. And then he says, uh, listen, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days, but be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Again, this is not an issue of salvation. This is the victor's crown, one of many crowns that are described in the Bible as you have gone through the trials. It's the same image. We often, if, if you've ever watched any type of weightlifting exercises or those who are uh, passionate about it and they compete at high levels, for those in the Olympics, for example, when they, they do that uh, jerk and clean, right. and they throw it up over their head, they have to hold that weight over their head until the judge has taken the score and then allows them to put that down. That's the same type of imagery that's used here of this approval, that the Lord has put you through the strain of, of a trial in this life of some sort, and out of it, he is refining to make you like the sun, to reflect his own glory in the dark places. So again, this is not to achieve salvation. This is the refiner doing what only the refiner can do. Otherwise, we can have this great deal of fear and consternation. I'm not doing enough, right. and nor will you ever. <laughs> but it becomes a life of fruit that means as we are grafted in, he is the vine, we are the branches. We naturally produce fruit because that's what vines do, right? Right. That's what a fig tree did. It produced figs. And when it didn't, oh, well, we know exactly how the Lord <laughs> reacted <that> <laughs> in that. He was not pleased, right? but it doesn't make it nonetheless a fig tree, right? He will prune it. He will draw out of it the fruit that he desires. So this is where that root of happy really comes out of. You were happy because now you realize you are totally absent of self. This is not about you. You cannot achieve spiritual victory. This is a conduit now that is being presented before the Lord to do his glorious work through. You're presenting yourself as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. It is not about me anymore. It is wholly about you. This makes one happy. And that's why we have victory, as we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, over our present circumstances. So therefore, the word is the root of true happiness. It's not an emotional response at all. It's a present state of reality. You're approved by God. He is with you. You are not alone. You're a conduit of his good working. It's all about him, not about you. And you are <laughs> pleased about that. Yeah. You're okay with that. Think about how we pray today. Everything is about, Lord, how can you make my life easier? Right. Right. I mean, we don't say that necessarily, but if you really examine our prayers, it's, I'm going through an adversity, please take that away. Yeah. Make my life easier today. Yeah. As opposed to, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If I suffer for your great glorious purposes, to you be the glory. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is where true happiness comes from. When you get over the reality of the fact that your idea of normal is saturated in Babylon, and I say that because that's the system of Babylon. You remember the world was likened unto Egypt outside of Israel, and the world system is likened unto Babylon, and that's what we know. That's what's normal to us. Once we let that go and start living on the other side of that reality, that it's not about any of these treasures on earth, it is wholly about the glory of the Lord being made manifest through you as a conduit of his working, then 
you will know happiness. And it's not about your happiness. It's about your holiness. But when you know holiness, you know happiness. <laughs> this is a wonderful quandary of the paradigm that the believer goes through as they choose then to serve the Lord wholly, fully with every waking moment. Right, we get less of us and we get more of God. That's an <laughs> that's <laughs> absolutely amazing exchange of the things that the Lord has uh, come to set us free from so that we can have more joy in Him. Amen. And I, I think everything we've just talked about has probably caused anyone listening to go, I I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I have been following the Lord for 20 years and I feel like I'm just starting. Um, and, and that's okay. That's that is the okay. right response to yeah. come to the end of oneself and say, Lord, I need all of you. I come empty handed. Fill me up as a cup that is desperate for the water, the true living waters. Where the, remember when David said, said my, my soul thirsts for you yeah. in a land that is dry, where there is no water. It's, it comes to him with a parched mouth. I need the living water. And the Lord Jesus responds all those years later, it right. seems, as he completes <laughs> that. Whoever drinks the water I give will never, never thirst thirsts. again. And this is the, the true living water that we seek. Otherwise, we're going to be filling that void with nothingness yeah. and wonder why it never fills up. Right. If we want our cup to overflow, we've got to go to the dining table with the Lord, where a cup will fill up over and over and never. Uh, it seems to run out, right? It means you're welcome to my table forever. And, and that's where we want to be. So blessedness, therefore, is higher than happiness, for it consists of standing in right relationship with God and so realizing the true purpose of a man's being. That's what it all comes down to. That's why the descriptions of the approved and disapproved worker are given to us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that you can only be blessed if you humble yourself before God in repentance of sin, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. If you truly desire me, you can't just desire a part of me. It's got to be all or nothing. Yeah. It's the only the narrow way or the wide way, right? You gla you grab hold of that plowshare and you don't look back. Otherwise, you're unfit for the kingdom of God, to which many believers are saying, I have been looking both ways for a very long time. I've had one foot in the world, one foot in truth. I'm the church of Laodicea. I'm no different. I've yeah. been lukewarm my entire life. And now, brothers and sisters, is that moment of decision where you say, who am I in Jesus Christ? Dude, does he own everything? Or nothing, right? I mean, that's that's really what this is all about. The Lord is calling you to know the fullness of him, and that means the absence of self. Whatever you have craved in this life, if your appetite is not for truth and righteousness, then you are divided. You, you don't know what you really want, and it's in this indecision where you are floundering and why you're not feeling the fullness of your relationship with Christ and only feeling like you're partially good at the world and partially good with your relationship with the Lord. That means you're you're never really that great at anything. Yeah. And it's time to make a decision to walk the narrow way and it's going to cost you everything. Right? You you may leave this world as a pauper financially. But if you have the fullness of Christ, you have everything. Right? If if you're seeking his good pleasure in this, you will know this blessedness that seems ever elusive to he who seeks a fullness of the world as if, Lord, if you're truly pleased with me, I'm going to have everything I want in this world. That is the wrong way of thinking. If you truly desire what makes God happy, it may mean you have nothing in this world and yet you are truly rich. 
Uh, and that's what he wants us to get our paradigm wrapped around. And that is going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. This is a lifetime journey. Now, wasn't a great example of that, the Apostle Paul, everything that he lost, everything that he went through to have the treasure of Jesus Christ. So sometimes we can think, oh, I don't know how I could do without that. I don't know how I could do without this. The treasure that we have in a relationship with Jesus Christ so surpasses anything that we can possibly imagine or any satisfaction that we can receive from the things of this world. Amen. That it just, it absolutely puts it to shame. And yet you're right. We still want to, we want to hold on to those things. You know, it's, it's the C.S. Lewis, you know, we want to make mud pies in the street instead of having a holiday at the sea, uh-huh. you know, as we settle for, you know, for so little when we've been offered so much. And that's because that's what we know. Right. We default to Babylon thinking and then wonder why we don't understand temple living. We're a sanctuary. We're a temple on two legs. Uh, He says uh, that we now are sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? The Apostle Paul tells not only the church body as a whole, but we the individuals in 1 Corinthians, we need to be reminded, you've got to think differently. You you belong to another. Uh, You have the indwelling Holy Spirit. When you, as James says, when you look in the mirror and then forget who you are with the natural face, he's trying to remind them that you are a new creation in Christ. And when you turn and act like you've forgotten who you are, what you've done is you've forgotten your inheritance, where he says you'll sit on Christ's throne. You've forgotten that he calls you a child of God. You've forgotten that he's called you a royal priesthood. You've forgotten that he's called you an ambassador of Christ. We've forgotten our identity. That's right. And then we wonder why we're struggling so yeah. much when we want to go back to Babylon and try to get our appetite filled. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And as we were talking before the show, Romans 8.1, therefore there, there is no condemnation. Hmm. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. All that the condemnation has been removed. Another great opportunity for release, for relief, for joy, realizing our standing before a holy God. We stand holy before a holy God because of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And so I think in our just our couple minutes left, we at least need to highlight the fact that as we started the program talking about what this poor in spirit terminology means, uh, somebody could look at that and go, poor in spirit, is that, is that my financial state? Or is is that someone who has a bad attitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? You're, you're poor in attitude. No, no, because then some people would go, oh, well, I don't have to make any changes then, right? right. I've got that part mastered. Uh, no, he's, you can say, well, finally somebody understands me. Thank you. Exactly. Uh, no, no, it's my not. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the word poor here uh, is epitohos. And it's, it's, it's not as you might think when it comes to financial circumstances, right? The, there's a lot of people who might consider themselves to be poor, and, and then you look at their circumstances and you go, well, you don't really understand uh, what, what poverty really is. We don't equate poverty with piety here. The righteous poor whom we've discussed in the Old Testament, even John the Baptist or the apostles would have been considered poor by earthly wealth standards. The Apostle Paul said, to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. So this is not really a highlighting of your financial circumstances, nor is this somehow a commendation of uh, being poor rather than rich, some sort of condemnation against 
wealthy people, uh, that's what we can default to. What we have to understand, and we'll have to cover this again next week, is, is this is about spiritual bankruptcy. This, this is, as we alluded to earlier, we'll come back to this starting next week, is to understand what that means, that we come absent of ourselves. We bring no works that will achieve any righteousness. We, that's filthy rags before the Lord. Our righteousness is filthy rags. So we have to understand that anything that means our salvation or eternal life with the Lord or anything that means his good working in us, it all has to come back to him. He receives the glory. It's not about me, all about him, spiritual bankruptcy in that regard so that he can fill it up holy with him, holy with truth. We're going to have to come back to that next week, Dr. Ford, because we're going to have to unpack that a great deal. So I want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth today. If you are at all interested in this series, and again, you've been, uh, your interest has been piqued, your curiosity now has, has led you to go, I've got to listen to this whole series. You can find it at calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.